Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. It's Sunday, June 3rd, 2018. What are you into? Man, I feel like it's been like a year since I've had a chance to kind of um, brain dump all the stuff I've been into. So let's start with the list. Uh, I started and beat the new God of War on PlayStation 4. It is phenomenal. I mean, I I agree with the critical consensus that this is one of those games that um, is is a milestone video game, like a like um, kind of like The Last of Us, where now you know for the last ten years or so we've all been like, oh, like The Last of Us, or this game borrows a lot from The Last of Us. That's what we're going to be saying about God of War. Um, it's phenomenal and. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that anyone out there who owns a PlayStation 4 and is interested in Norse mythology hasn't bought this game. Yeah. <laughs> but um, So the rundown is the God of War series, which uh, started on PlayStation 2 and had a very PlayStation 2 era, like Max Agro edgelord aesthetic. Uh, it took place in ancient Greece and you killed your way through the Greek pantheon of gods. Uh, the series has been dormant for a long time. This new game kind of reboots it. You're the same character. It takes place in the same continuity, but uh, somehow you have moved from the realm of Greek gods into the realm of Norse gods, and uh, oh boy, they do the good stuff. So I've been doing. I did that. That was a great time. Um, I moved my way through. I since since we last, I last, you know, had my part of this. I think I've moved through all three of the. Um, Next, Joe Abercrombie books, Best Served Cold. Um, what's the second one? Heroes, the Heroes. Heroes, the Heroes, and Red Country. Dude, are you serious? Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> Holy shit, you didn't tell me. <laughs> well, come on, man. Yeah, no. I don't know. What, I got wow, through them shit. all. What do you think? Um, I So you actually said they get better as they go. I think Best Served Cold was probably the best one. Really? Okay. Um, but I think that... They were all really enjoyable in their own way. I think that Red Country was actually probably the most, like, derivative in terms of, like, just like, hey, what if I put my characters in a Western setting? And it just, some of the cliche just felt a little too forced. Um, but I guess that's what you, you get when you get an Englishman to write a Western, right? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, I mean, they were all enjoyable. I do think that, I th- I think the fact that, like, canonically, it's like, oh, no, this is just three side stories. It's not a trilogy. This is a trilogy. Like, this is a, um, it doesn't follow a trilogy the same way of, like, focusing on one kind of group of characters as they move through the three books. But, like, uh, the character of Shivers definitely goes on a journey from the start <laughs> of, uh, from the start of, uh, Best Served Cold through the end of Red Country. And, who boy. Yeah, that journey. Uh, How about that journey? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed them all. I, I really can't wait for um, his next batch that apparently he's nearly finished with. Apparently he's got like five books almost ready to go. Is that right? Well, I think he's writing. It's another trilogy. So he's writing it all in one go and doing everything up front. And then he's going to release them like every six months for, you know, eight, you know, 12 months, 18 months or whatever, right. because he want, he thinks he makes a better story that way which i probably would agree with and also he doesn't want to be another like martin or whatever or stuff just like lingers <laughs> and you know he wants to have a tight compelling story and, and whatever yeah. so i'm really so i'm i'm really glad you enjoyed them i think that my sort of evaluation of three is I, I actually totally agree with your um view of red country it's just like sometimes it's like is there some really cool stuff in it but some of the stuff just doesn't work and i like the fact that there can be kind of different settings in a world sometimes the settings you know you can have like, the reason it's that way kind of makes sense, even if it's a little bit like you're trying a little too hard here, buddy. Uh, 
I think Best Served Cold was really good. I think it was a little too long. Like by the end, I was like, oh my mm. God, this book, like it felt just really long to me. Um, but I love the characters in that book. Like the weird, wacky D&D party they make in that book is bonkers. Yeah. Here's some yeah. weird like assassin and <laughs> just like this crazy guy and uh, a guy who literally is associate, like, you know, friendly is not friendly. Uh, yeah, no. Friendly. Yeah, friendly, friendly. That guy is, he's fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, but I think, I mean, Heroes is ranks. A lot of people pick that book out in particular as like a defining work of like modern fantasy in the way hmm. of like, you know, people, it's in a lot of people's, uh, you know, on Reddit and stuff, people's ranking of this like best books ever. And like the heroes is constantly talked about as like being a really, really good book. Just the way the portrayal of war and like, like I said, I, I read that book right when the um, Battle of the Bastards episode came out for Game yeah. of Thrones. And I was just like, oh my God, everything is terrible. I hate everything. <laughs> war is so terrible, man. <laughs> But do you like the style of like the way, you know, combat, the way he write battle scenes was that every time somebody died, you switch point of view to the person that killed that person. I didn't notice that actually. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch that. (laughs) And it's also because I mean, I, most of these I plowed through uh, audiobook style. Okay. So maybe, you know, so I probably didn't catch that as much. Um, And also I have to be honest that a lot of the names, it was tough for me to follow a lot of the, the, the characters in in that book especially because you bounce around so much between all of them um and i had a little bit of what i kind of felt like early on in reading the martin stuff where i'm like i don't know who half these people are and i'm hoping that it'll all make sense here we go um and just and again maybe it was audiobook maybe maybe not but also like it was a little hard to follow of like okay so where are we now and why is this particular town or bridge important in the grander grander scheme of the battle and it was just some of that was a little hard to follow and maybe that was the idea but yeah, I would recommend at some point in the future if I mean, who has time to like reread a thing. But <laughs> um, I read it, you know, I don't do audiobooks, but the it has maps, which are helpful. And it's ah. basically what you're reading is the Battle of Gettysburg, essentially is like and it's I mean, it's not the exact same details, but just that like it's a no name place. It doesn't really matter, but it just happens to be where these two armies right. collided. Right. And, you know, the heroes just happen to be the defining feature of the defining geographic feature. And I do agree. Sometimes it gets a little hard to, he does include little maps, which is funny because he's the guy, like the anti-map guy, but like yeah. battle maps that shows like, here's where the main forces are. Cause in that kind of context of a book, it, it matters. And it's helpful to have that like bird's eye view of the battlefield. Right. And, um, and so. for, for folks <laughs> listening, the, the, conceit of the heroes is it's an entire fantasy novel that takes place over the span of like just a three-day battle and maybe the maybe a day or two leading up to it but so a lot of it is and the reason why i guess it was a little hard for me to follow without the maps was because you know it was important that like it's an important plot point that oh this particular group of soldiers tricked the other group into thinking they were here but they were really on the other side of the town and and it was like so that was just a little tough to understand, like what which of these troop movements are important. And, you know, it's a big part of the plot of how the troops are moving and what ground they're capturing. Um, so that's the that's the context for folks who haven't right. read it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that and these books take place over. I, I looked it up the other day. I think it's like a couple years and then a couple years and a couple years. So like you, you yeah. actually like move through the time period. And it's interesting to see a series where like are the heroes and i'll put that in the biggest air quotes ever um, protagonists protagonists main characters <laughs> uh, 
I don't even say protagonist. Yeah. Um, people you're reading about, they, uh, <laughs> they like to see them age and like die and stuff and just be like, really like, I don't know. It was a lot of time goes by and you're seeing people in different light and you're like, Oh, I kind of thought this guy was a hero. And it's like, mm, maybe not. And, or maybe this guy isn't as bad as I thought or whatever. What do you, are you kind of picking up some of like the, I don't mean to just digress on this too far, but I can't help it. Uh, the undercurrent, like the bigger plot at play. Because these are these these books aren't like big dramatic good evil fantasy books like a lot of stuff we you know we read, but like I mean the role of Baez and like the the politicate politi- politicking of like the geography of the world and stuff I think is really interesting how he does have just like he never really comes out and says like you don't get perspectives of that or whatever so it's just like you kind of have to pick up little hints of like oh it sounds like this group is trying to do this and whatever so I think. Um and I guess I'm going to include this in the show notes, but um, also here on 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 the mic. Spoiler alert for Joe Abercrombie's first law trilogy coming up. Um, the uh, and the standalones. Um, yeah, I guess. I, and the standalones, maybe. But I mean, we'll see. Um, so I mean, the big the big kind of climax of first law trilogy being that all of the stuff that's been going on in this fantasy world. Um, for the last couple hundred years has just been these two wizards, Baez and Kalul, um, who have a grudge and they've been settling their grudge through global politics. Um, Baez by basically inventing and controlling the banking system and Kalul, uh, by establishing a, you know, establishing himself as a god prophet and having this kind of, um, cultish fanatic empire and they've just been like dealing with their old petty grudge this way and every character we've met in any in any capacity is basically a pawn of one of them and then in the standalones um you see like no matter what story you're reading um you see Baez and his bank the bank of valentin bulk like also being behind the scenes and working behind the scenes. So I think that's a cute little nod and a reminder of of the larger politics at play. But and again, audiobooks, I'm and I also really powered through these, so I may have missed things, but I don't feel like the Baez versus Kalul situation has really progressed at all since the end of what is the last argument of Kings is the third. Yeah. And I, I would agree with you uh, completely. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's nice to, like, it's nice that you said the little nods, that, like it's still happening. And what I'm realizing now, cause I just read the, um, the short story collection, like I talked about before, mm-hmm. which is, you know, while it's still fresh in your mind, if you're not burnt out, it's fun. Um, they kind of take place from before, like over the scope of like from before the first law up through past red country, like one or two stories. And yeah. you see some familiar characters over, but anyway, um, I just really like how, I think the next trilogy, I think we're going to see some things happen in that area for sure. And yeah. I think that the biggest thing that stuck out to me that I want to put in your mind is that like what happened in Styria with, um, uh, what's her name? The main character of the first of, uh, Best yeah, Cole. Monza, Monza. That's a big deal. The fact that like that is now a kingdom of its own right. And like basically there's now three players in the fight. Yes. Right. Because, um, because, it does seem like they're establishing, yeah, as a as a power that is theoretically divorced from Baez and Kalul. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, and I really do hope we get a little bit more of her, Monza, and also uh, her Matrix friend, Kaz. Or uh, what was his what was his last name that he went by? 
Shank. Shanked. Yes. Shanked. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, man, I was like, uh, you know, you get to the end of the book and I'm like, man, I really hope we get like 10 chapters of this guy. Cause he seems, Oh no, he just showed. No. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, there's a lot of theorizing on the Reddit and stuff about like yeah, him and yeah. his stuff. So it's cool. I like that there's some intrigue in that. I, that's kind of the fun. Some of the fun of these longer running series in these worlds is like the community and people talking about it and like trying to figure stuff out. Uh, that's fun. So I'm glad well, you enjoyed and it. I, and I do like that there's an element of Abercrombie's writing. And I think it's a little bit subversive to the fantasy genre in general is that the most powerful, like all the characters with like the crazy anime magic skills are never the main characters. They always just like show up and, um, you know, they're either, you know, protagonists or antagonists, but everybody else is pretty much just normal dudes. But you see these godlike superheroes going around and fucking things up for everyone. And I just like that twist because in a lot of other fantasy, like you follow the guy with all of the anime powers. Yeah. Did you like the like technology, technological progression you're kind of seeing in the world? A little bit, a little bit that, you know, Baez is, you know, that gunpowder is starting to become a thing. And, um, uh, yeah. And then, then that was a little bit unclear in, in red country, because again, I like, it's so clearly a Western and I just keep imagining Western imagery. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, my fault for, you know, the way I've been acculturated, but like, it's just so hard to imagine the American West, but with medieval technology. Right. It is a weird just juxtaposition that is sometimes yeah. hard to like you thinking everyone's in like cool leather dusters and stuff and have guns. It's like, oh, they got a bow and arrow. And it's like, oh, OK, well, yes, that's weird. <laughs> yes. And like and it's also hard for me because I've I, you know, Westworld's been on. So yeah. I've been soaking in that. So it's just hard not to see Westworld when I think about um, uh, Red Country and not to imagine Ed Harris's old badass cowboy as uh, Lamb as oh. the old badass. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, maybe we'll yeah. talk more about that a little bit later before we I know. I could talk about this for a very long time. Um, <laughs> so what else have I been into? Been watching Westworld. Been really enjoying Westworld. Um, just started the three-body problem uh, because I really needed a break from all this fantasy. Um, <laughs> That's on my list but, as well. Yeah. Um, but I think what we really want to talk about is... Um, these two big hit summer movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been the summer of the lovable rogue. I guess. Uh, so, yeah. So Deadpool 2 and <laughs> Solo, a Star Wars story, came out uh, a week apart from each other. Um, and you finally got around to seeing Solo. My bad. Um, my bad listeners. Now, clearly. And I know the Internet has been a buzz about its poor box office performance. And I can't help but tell have to remind you that, Andrew, if you don't see these Star Wars movies on opening weekend, they might stop making them. I mean, you're right. <laughs> no, they're never going to stop making Star Wars movies. Yeah. There's nothing we can do. Well, I think they just really value my opinion. So if, yes. if I don't go personally, like, oh, man, if Andrew's not going, we're screwed. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um, I did get to see it today. Finally, um, I just had it was like a just random collection of things that prevented me from seeing it but here we are uh actually my theater was like pretty much full so really yeah it was it was packed i mean i barely got a seat so yeah so that's good i guess i mean maybe one of those things that i have some theorizing about why it's not performing well but we can talk about that later <laughs> i do too but we should start chronologically with deadpool 2 so yes. another spoiler warning of course um we are going to talk about Deadpool 2 and the solo movie in great detail. So if you haven't seen either of those movies and care about spoilers, please don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, I guess I will I'll include in the show notes um, kind of the rough time when we 
transition from one to the other. So you can maybe skip ahead to Solo if you don't want Deadpool spoiled or what have you. So, but um, let's talk about Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think? I really enjoyed Deadpool and I was a little bit. So I went to see it and uh, I came back and Karen said, you know, how was it? And I said, uh, I don't know. I feel you. I mean, it was good. It was Deadpool. It was, you know, I mean, it was Deadpool 2, um, all the Deadpool shenanigans. But, you know, I guess that's it. Um, and she was like, that's not a very ringing endorsement. And I was like, no, it was good. But then the more I thought about it. And so I saw it on Saturday and Karen was planning to see a movie herself on Sunday. And by Saturday night, I was like, Karen, I really think you should see Deadpool tomorrow. <laughs> like, Karen, I really think this is a really good movie, and I think you need to see it. She didn't end up seeing it. She ended up seeing something else. But um, I really, I think in many ways Deadpool 2 is better than Deadpool 1. And I really like Deadpool 1. I think I agree with that. It's been a while since I've seen Deadpool 1. I don't think I ever saw it the first time I watched it in theaters. So I, I kind of, I wish I would have seen it again beforehand. Not for like story purposes, but just to get back in the mood, you know. Mm-hmm. And also to be able to compare. But uh yeah, I think that, I mean, definitely in the way, in the area of like villains and story, it's definitely superior, you know, and like other side characters and stuff, because really the first one is just like, here's Deadpool. Yeah. But you can't like rely on that forever, which is good because they did it. So, yeah, the first one definitely got by on a lot of novelty, the novelty of the character, the novelty of the R rating, the novelty of the, oh, they're kind of spoofing superhero movies like all of that was, you know, then it was great. I mean, that novelty was all important, but like now we've got the second one and that's not going to work anymore. Um, but I think I think this movie was actually about something, which is great. I like it when my movies are about something and have a point of view and have some ideas. Um, and, and I think that it's kind of themes of like, um, you know, like helping people versus just stopping them i guess rehabilitation versus capital punishment i guess is what they're getting at but um yeah i think that i mean i I agree with you i think that to have a movie that can be it's always what you're shooting for right not always but i guess like it's a really fun you know thread movie that can make you feel something but also be really really funny uh not everything's goal is to do that and i not like deadpool's trying to like bring home an oscar for like you know the most moving scenes of any you know picture or something but it you know the the theme and what because people you know sometimes get in some some creators and some runs of deadpool and examples of use of his character they sometimes forget that like he's not just he's not supposed to be just a gag character right he does kind of have his own way of viewing the world and his own sense of morality that's not always good but um is there and it should be like addressed and have these you know some of them not there's something like a sad nihilism with deadpool that it's really easy to lose in all the gags. And I feel like, you know, they do it pretty well in these movies. You know, it is weird having, I mean, we'll address the elephant that like the double fridging in this movie is not great. And I feel like it's one of those things where like (sighs) having Deadpool have a, a romantic partner is kind of unusual. And I feel like it's one of those things that makes it a little bit, it, it, not that I don't, not that I think they do a bad job of it in the movie itself, like portraying the story and their love. Like, I think they, that comes out okay, but it just kind of undercuts Deadpool's weird way of the world and like nihilism and that having that st- stability and like love and companionship is something that he kind of acts the way he does because he doesn't have that stuff and to yeah. have it and also act that way is kind of like, well, why is he, he is the way he's just a weirdo, I guess. So, so I always kind of felt that like the fridging or something with her was going to happen at some point because he kind of needs to not have that anchor. They telegraphed the shit out of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, but I mean, yeah, I, I wish they, if they, I think the only thing that would have saved it for me, if they just would have addressed the idea of fridging. Yes. And poked fun at it, it would have been fine. But the fact that the creators, they said, they didn't even know what it was, which is yes. a little concerning. Um, so background, fridging is a term that we use a lot in talking about, um, you know, uh, especially genre stories. And the term comes from an old, uh, I think, 90s or 2000s Green Lantern comic where uh, I, the current, the then version of Green Lantern, I think Kyle Rayner, I think this was a Kyle Rayner Green Lantern. Yeah, um, His girlfriend is murdered and her body is mutilated and put in the fridge, literally, for him to find. And then he, of course, becomes emboldened and has to go avenge her death and blah, blah, blah. But fridging is the idea where the male hero, uh, no, I guess I'll, let me, let me backtrack there, where a female character is essentially murdered just so that it can inspire the male hero to go, um, you know, on his adventure. Um, and naturally that greatly devalues female characters and it's, you know, also just kind of cheap, sloppy, easy writing. And it's just a, an example of when you zoom out, it's kind of gross that much of our fiction needs women to die horribly in order to get the ball rolling. Um, so when we say double fridging in Deadpool two, uh, Deadpool's, uh, girlfriend, wife partner uh vanessa is murdered early on which sets his plot line in motion and then cable's uh family notably a wife and daughter are murdered which sets his plot line in motion um so double maybe even triple fridging uh kind of gross and for like like you say for a series that a movie series and a comic series that's kind of known for pointing out the icky tropes and the bad stuff in a lot of superhero fiction to really, really, really go all in on fridging is pretty disappointing. Yeah. And I mean, this is one of those things that, like I said, if they just would have acknowledged it, it would have, you know, been okay. Cause like, this is a story like this, this type of the story element, the idea of fridging. I don't like the biggest reason it's problematic is not the actual like way it plays out, but just that our, our like I said, our society's over reliance on it in fiction over the past, I don't know, 50, 100 years, whatever. <laughs> and like that story can still happen sometimes, but we need to like avoid it as much as possible till we can kind of recalibrate a little bit. Right. Like, right. I mean, the, the ties to family and loved ones and that kind of thing, like that's always going to be a draw that, you know, is going to have a place in fiction, I think. You know, how many, I mean, I'm not saying these are, are good, but like how many freaking like Bruce Willis slash Harrison Ford slash Mel Gibson movies about like their family gets kidnapped or whatever. And like they have to go rescue them or something along those lines. Like those are popular for a reason because it really stokes people's, you know. Yeah. Flames, and, and, but. and um, but I, I think the main question with fridging is, does this female, does this female character serve any purpose in the story other than just being a prop? whose murder uh, motivates our hero, right? Like, it's one thing where you have an established character, like, say, a Catelyn Stark, who, um, you know, who gets to do stuff and have a role in the story, and then she ends up dying, and then some other men end up being real upset about it. But uh, Catelyn Stark didn't exist in, you know, George R.R. Martin didn't invent her just so that she could get murdered. Right. Um, and, and inspire someone. So, um, that's really what we need to get past. Um, and yeah, just stop using dead women as props. 
So anyway, right. so that's a little disappointing that Deadpool didn't hit that. But I think that its heart was in the right place in so many other ways that I can forgive it. That it really is, I think, a forward-looking and um, progressive, you know, piece of genre fiction. And it does get this part wrong, but um, at least we're all talking about it. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of people have talked about the, you know, the queer relationship between, um, Negasonic Teenage Warhead and, uh, I don't think we learned her, like, X-Men name, just Yukio, I think was her, uh, just character name. And, like, the fact that it just, oh yeah, that's my girlfriend, and then we don't treat it with any kind of, like, leering, like, ooh, they're lesbians, let's watch them kiss. Like, there's none of that. Like, Deadpool never makes a joke about it. The movie never makes a joke about it. It's just like, yeah, here it is. This is the first openly queer relationship in a superhero movie, and we're not even going to comment on it. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I was reading a... And this might, this could be one of those, like, hashtag that happened kind of things, but I was reading a comment of a person who said they were at a movie theater of a showing of Deadpool 2. There was a family behind him with young kids who brought their young kids to see Deadpool 2. And, you know, which is like, don't, <laughs> which is pretty much as crass as you can get with all the content, whatever. Uh, and when they showed them on the screen is when the only time in the movie that they were like, oh, like the family behind, like the parents were like, oh, come on, really? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, oh, my God. What is it's just very like that is just like a, a microcosm for America right there, I guess. But um, we'll take our kids to see a movie where we can watch, you know graphic nudity and violence but two people in love holy shit watch yeah, out yeah, yeah. uh anyway yeah. so but yeah no that was really you know and the fact that like the movie sets you up that like deadpool might make fun of them but then he's like no i wouldn't do this that's, that's like that's a stupid thing to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um yeah no that i and i thought that the expansion of the cast even though we didn't see a lot of them it just made the made the i mean these movies are getting to be better x-men movies than the x-men movies yeah <laughs> yeah uh you know i um uh, there are episodes of sesame street that are better x-men movies than the x-men movies <laughs> that's true i guess um so what did you think of like cable and, and that whole like the basic premise of the story with his involvement at least so again minus the josh brolin doing great yep um he he's he's doing a great job um I think that Cable's always been kind of a woof character, mm -hmm. um, but I think that this movie, this movie essentially is a philosophical argument between the super macho toxic masculinity, you know, archetype of just shoot everything until, you know, until everything's cool again, um, you know, make all the sacrifices because your daughter's dead kind of um, uh, character idea. And then a newer idea ex kind of exemplified by Deadpool, you know, where it's, you know, more about like, no, we need to, you know, we need to help people and, you know, fix people rather than just killing our problems away. Um, and so they kind of needed to make Cable, at least in the early stages of the movie, more of a horrible action movie cliche. And they did it. Yeah. And um, I want to see more of him. I want to see more of him and Deadpool. Like, I, th I feel like now I'm ready for the Cable and Deadpool buddy movie. Um, and I think that they, those two have good chemistry. Um, and I, I honestly think the, um, just the production design on cable was so good. Yeah. Like I, just the, the way they realized him visually and just the costume and all of his props 
and uh all of that is was just really really good yeah i mean like the way i mean the coolest thing i mean there's a little bit of like a the the, the gamer in me that's like where he makes the gun that has the dials and does different things i'm like that's just such a cool idea for like this you know to use in this movie because it allows you a lot of interesting things to do from a visual perspective but also from like a plot story perspective of different situations and yeah i mean i really enjoyed his performance and i you know they did play it up to the point where like almost to the point that i was like almost a step too far in the context of the movie it makes sense but just like this comes in here and it's like kills a whole prison of like i mean i assume this is just like a federal prison like he just murdered a bunch <laughs> of like state employees like who were just yeah. doing their jobs and it's like all right well that's kind of shitty but um yeah and the the x-men movies have kind of conditioned us that anybody who is in a um like in the position of controlling mutants is automatically like an anti-mutant bigot like striker right um and i feel like this leans on that a little bit because also there's a a valid criticism of the x-men um and even you know deadpool talks about this a little bit we're like it's a kind of a tired metaphor for 60s style racism um but like so yes so the x-men analogy of like oh yeah you know we shouldn't persecute people from because they're different and you know uh we shouldn't segregate our society and everything like that i'm like yes i'm with you when we're talking about um you know different races who are uh biologically identical (laughs) but when one of them can shoot lasers out of their eyes maybe the rest of us have a reason to say like hey maybe we should do something about laser guy (laughs) um so like the idea of like yeah you're right like a lot of those people are just there like controlling dangerous super villains like you know because the other people we saw in the prison were like you know like black tom cassidy and like these guys are monsters yeah like those cops were they were i mean a couple of them seemed like assholes but like, yeah cable murdered the shit out of all of them <laughs> uh but eh. yeah right but that's it's kind of playing this role of like do anything it takes blah blah, blah. and it's like all right dude like Hopefully we see that change because like Cable should be a hero. Like I mean, he should be. Well, yeah, and I think that's he. They give him a little bit of a character arc, and he, you know, he goes and he has a chance because he's got his little, you know, uh, time MacGuffin. At the end of the movie, he has a chance to hit rewind, and knowing the way things were going to play out, he could have like knowing that you know Deadpool was going to throw himself in front of the bullets to save the kid. Like he could have shot the kid earlier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in his redo, he could have just been like, I see how this goes. I'm just going to shoot the kid at the very beginning before anyone has a chance to stop me. Um, but he doesn't. Instead, he just he chooses to save Deadpool um, at the cost of never seeing his family again. And it's like, oh, so he actually he came around to the right idea. He's evolving. And now he sees the value in saving someone because he saves Deadpool rather than killing someone, which is what he, you know, what we always wanted. So I am interested. I do feel like the next cable is going to be less of a dick. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when he's a dick, but you know, less of like a murder junkie, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, a couple things I want to point out that I really enjoyed. So I really like the, like you said, like the costume design, but like the imagining of other X-Men characters, like this is awesome. Colossus, um, the Colossus we should <laughs> have had in prior movies. And yeah, I mean, the juggernaut was like a, it looks a little too bit, cartoony in yeah, many ways. Yeah, it's a little bit left to be desired. Although I appreciate it, I read that Ryan Reynolds voiced him too. Um, yeah, but I, I would have actually liked to have leaned into like with the red helmet and that kind of stuff because he still looked a little bit like it was a little too big and like monstrous. But I appreciate the fact that they used him because the Juggernaut's you know a fun character to use on screen. Yeah, uh, I am 
you know, there's for the most part, the comedy was awesome. I'm, I'm laughing constantly in this movie. Yep. There's always things with comedy and you say that don't land for specific people. Like sometimes some of like the super potty mouth just for the sake of potty, like just like, I don't know, some things he says and I was like, that's dumb. Don't say that, dude. Or yeah. like just sometimes some of the guys I'm just like, like when Colossus shoves the electrical cable up his butt, I'm just like, yeah. ah, man, I don't really care. Like, that's not the best way to do this. Like, uh, there's just like some things are just like, it's weird. I some things in the same as that context will land and other things won't. But yeah, but that's comedy, you know, yeah. I mean, and, we, you know, well, like we've talked about in a lot of like when you're writing mainstream comedy, like the marketable advice is, you know, well, for every like deep cut comic nerd joke that we have in there, like the joke about the juggernaut being like, yeah, I wear this helmet so my brother can't read my thoughts. Oh, that sucks. It's like, yeah, but he's in a wheelchair. It's like, that's Professor X. He's talking about Professor X. Um like for all of those, there needs to be a butt joke for the you know for everybody else. So, right, I was okay with it. I agree. I think some of those were a little weaker, and um, I would have liked Juggernaut to be a little bit more of a surprise. But as soon as it, they were like, "Oh, there's a big guy down there," I'm like, "It's fucking Juggernaut." Yeah, <laughs> Who I else is it gonna that, be? I thought maybe it could have been like another one of like the bigger guys, like um, I'm blanking on the one dude's name that I thought it could have been. But yeah, it's good. I mean, it's fine. I the jokes I really like the one. Well, this isn't really I mean, it was a joke, but it made a point that was really valid that I've been bringing up kind of more recently when we were reviewing stuff was um, they kind of call out the the dumb logic of why Cable only has, you know, like one use of his time travel device. And, yeah. And they're like, you know, they pull this and like, well, that's just lazy writing. And it's like, yeah, but it, 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 this movie shows you it doesn't matter. Like you can have weird, dumb plot contrivances as long as it like it's in service of this, a good story. Yes. And you don't it doesn't matter at all. So this is, yeah, because we've been, and we've been talking a lot about, like, movies and books, and, and we've been kind of reviewing them, and I've been coming around more to a different style of reviewing, where I think that a lot of us, um, we, uh, who came up and, and kind of got turned on to, you know, film criticism through, like, Mr. Plinkett's Star Wars reviews, and everything that followed them in the style of a more kind of technical film review, um, that's really based on like story structure and writing and, um, you know, plot holes. And you're right. Like it is lazy writing. Well, no, I don't think it's lazy writing. It's a contrivance. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of dumb, but the movie isn't about connecting dots and writing in a water, you know, an airtight story. Movies are about, you know, trying to tell a story and focus on the big parts that matter. And sometimes you need little conveniences to get you there. And you're right. It doesn't matter that his little time device, like, oh, I've only got one charge left. And then the idea of the further I go, the less accuracy I have. Like, okay, fine. Like, it all works. <laughs> and I actually think that's kind of a neat idea of, you know, um, you know, if it's if it's 10 minutes, I can hit it right on. But yeah, okay. But yeah, you're right. It's like that move past it and focus on the story and focus on the, the point of view and the characters and, the, you know, the things that matter, um, as opposed to the times that the movie reminds yourself it's a movie. Um, like, yeah, we know. So I, I agree. Right. It and doesn't it, matter. And especially in like a, an area of the broader category of like speculative or, you know, fantasy fiction. I'm just like, at some point, you're going to find something that doesn't make sense because it's fucking made up, dude. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean? well, at some point you have to even in the even in the stuff that tries to be the most like, you know, the kind of like science fiction that tries to stay super, super hard. OK, that came out wrong, but tries to stay like super <laughs> scientifically accurate. Like like I think Spance is a good example of like 
they try very hard and consulted with, you know, astronauts and things to try and make like space and space development as accurate as they can. But there's still a point where it's like, yeah, but we have this not faster than light drive, but like kind of like that, you know, and they, they always have to have a jumping yeah. off point. And something like that doesn't always make up for plot holes, which can be really, you know, really bad for some stories. But when you're comparing a movie and making a recommendation or reviewing it, like, like you said, it has become the norm, the hot takes of these things to point it out because they make for nice little tweets. Right. Like, oh, if Cable couldn't, blah, blah, why couldn't he just do this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, dude, like, but that's not, that's not what distinguishes a movie like Infinity War from Transformers. Right. It's not plot, you know, holes or whatever that make those good or bad movies. It's other things. And that's what we need to focus on. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and when you get bogged down in pointing out the plot holes, then it's like, well, you're, you're, you're missing the forest for the trees and there's no, you can't write the perfect story. And yeah. And, and also the contrivance of he's only got one charge left and he can't go back that far. Um, that enables you to tell us to, that enables his entire character arc. And it's a really good character arc because this is, you set it up where he has an, he knows exactly how things are going to play out. He has an opportunity to either make it go his way or make it go another way. And he chooses the other way. And if you start to take elements of that out and make it so he doesn't have to make the choice twice and doesn't know all the ways it's going to play out, that be- becomes a lot less powerful. And if you want to sacrifice the power of that character arc and the power of that story just so you can have a plot that, you know, nobody can poke holes in, like, I feel like you're doing this wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So uh, another thing I wanted to point out that I really liked, um, like some of the, the the one running gag I really enjoyed was the the cables racist yeah. gag. It's subtle, like, but like you know, just like and not like as overt as all the other jokes. But I just really enjoyed the the writing on that one. <laughs> and just all, I mean, it, this is hard for me because like I don't really have a lot to say about this movie because I was just like, it's good. I really liked it. It's funny, but sort of being a comedy it has a lot to say but i'm just i was kind of just like yeah i liked it i didn't have like usually come at me i was like oh like all these thoughts and all these things blah blah i'm just like yeah it was really funny i i mean cool <laughs> I, I agree i think it's it's just like it's a really good movie um and i think that it even i think it is a great not just a great deadpool movie but it is a great x-men movie because it is figuring out what the x-men movies still haven't which is what does it mean to be a mutant in 2018 like, it's right. no longer this, like, should we be separatist or should we integrate? Should we fight for humans or against humans? Like, it's no longer that kind of, like, again, 1960s style race conversation. It becomes questions about, you know, um, you know, like embracing, you know, the otherness of being a mutant and, you know, and, and, and mutants, you know, you know, treating each other humanely and, um, and, and not accepting the narrative that the non-mutant society writes for them, you know, cause that's kind of the, 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 uh, what Wade is trying to convince, uh, Firefist of is that, um, you know, he he was conditioned by the um, by the Essex Institute to think that you could either be a mutant, which was evil and destructive, or you could repress all that and try to convert yourself into a normal. And and then Firefist was like, fine, if you think I'm going to be if 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 I'm going to be an a mutant, I have to be evil and destructive, then I'm going to be evil and destructive. And Wade was trying to tell him, like, no, there's a third way here. You don't have to have your life dictated to you by, you know, by the by the dominant culture. And it's like, wow, that's actually a very nuanced, uh, thing and more in line with, you know, um, you know, 
the modern question. Uh, so, man, it's just doing such a better job at everything than the X-Men movies. Uh, are you excited <laughs> for Dark Phoenix? This one's going to be in the 90s. Oh, God, I forgot the movie's even coming out. I actually was sad they had that little, like, shot of them in it. And I was just like, oh, dude, I mean, no, it was, don't put this. In. It was cute. It was funny, but it was like. But it reminded yeah. me of the bad movies. Right. I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be thinking about those guys. <laughs> in my mind, we're in a whole different universe with a whole bunch of other X-Men that are actually cool. Because yeah. <laughs> Colossus is here and he's awesome. So I assume that, like, just down the road there, you know, just down a couple of rooms, there's, like, a really legit version of, like, Archangel hanging around or something. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, this is the X-Men I want to see, right? But. Uh, no, I mean, it, it was really good. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, I you know, like, you know, the X-Force movie, I guess, is moving ahead and what that's going to look like. I mean, the, the buildup, they did such a good job, but once again, with the marketing and the build oh, up man. this movie, it's like all about the X-Force and then, nope, all and dead. holy shit. Every single they one. They <laughs> shot action scenes with all those X-Force members just to use in trailers to trick us. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because I was, <laughs> as I was watching it, I was like, you know, and when they all started dying, I was like, wait, they're not going to do this, are they? And I was like, I know I saw shots of, of Terry Crews like in a fight on a city street. I know I saw that. So he can't be dead. And it just keeps going to like, no. And like, I know I saw shots of Shatterstar like fighting like troopers. I'm like, nope, nope, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And it was like, holy shit, you motherfuckers, like you shot entire scenes just to troll us. So good. Yeah, really good. And um, I love this. And like, but once again, they do a good job because like, these guys know their stuff, like to pull these obscure characters, but like make them look like the characters, but still be cool. Like Shatterstar is just like the dumbest character in the world. But like, yeah, we'll throw him in the movie. Cool. This yeah. D list like X-Men tangent character. And but also know that, yeah, he's from Mojo World and like, you know, fucking is like an alien. So he gets chopped up. He's got green goo everywhere. Like just like, attention oh, to detail. Holy shit. He is really from Mojo World. I guess Mojo World's real in the, in the X-Men universe. Right. right. Cool. Uh, and um, I, I did also uh, I'm I mean, I really liked I mean, for me, the standout start like Domino was awesome. Oh, my movie. God. So good. So I uh, just such a fun power set. I've always really enjoyed her in the comics and such a good job of like her attitude and, and the way she handled the situations. But I just a good addition to this universe they're building. Yeah. And just she and I think this is a large part due to uh, Sazzy Beats's performance. Like like when she wasn't on the screen, my mind was like, where's Domino? I bring, bring Domino back. I want to see more Domino. Like she's just so much fun and so charismatic and um, um, such a good like element in the overall ensemble. Uh, yeah great great all around yeah so i mean i don't have really much else to say you got anything else to say um no deadpool was great yeah we'll see what i'm really curious to see you know with the what what, what happens to these i mean this is a successful franchise now so disney can't be worried about it i mean brief aside on that you saw that uh nbc like nbc comcast made a a pass to try and buy fox instead i didn't see that no yeah, so they basically said, all right, well, if you're going to get paid in Disney stock, we're going to pay you in cash. <laughs> and then some, a lot of people were saying, well, the Disney stock's probably more valuable anyway because yeah. that's just going to keep yeah. going up. But but a company would also probably really like just be like, you know, $50 billion in cash is pretty legit too. So yeah. um, that enables you to do many, many things immediately. But I guess, but then they basically said Disney's like, re, like just being like, all right, well, if you want cash, we'll give you cash. We don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like whatever you we've want, got man. it. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, or, and we're like, or maybe we'll give you some cash and stock or like whatever you yeah. want. Like, I don't think it's going to get in the way of this, but, um, but yeah, so I'm really curious to see what happens to this, you know, this, the Deadpool and then the adding on X Force and like this different tangential X Men universe they're building, where that goes if, if Disney does fully acquire 20th Century Fox. Yeah, yeah, they will. Who so, has more money than Disney? Nobody. nobody. Like, I mean, Amazon, I don't know. You know, the Harvard endowment, maybe if I feel like that's like 600 billion or something, it's some huge amount of money. It's a lot of money. Harvard yeah. buys Fox. All right. Get into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but shall we move on to solo then? Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about solo. So I know I'm going to have to tell you what happened at the end, the very end of the movie, because I'm sure that the second you saw Darth Maul, you got up and left, right? <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to begin with this first, but you saw this movie today. Yeah. So I want, I want your brain dump download of this movie before we get into things. Cause I have thoughts. So typically when, you know, when we review a movie, it's, it's usually a couple of days after I've seen it. I've had a little more time to digest. I've read some stuff on the internet that makes you, you know, sways your opinion. Ever. So this is truly a, I read people's opinion of it, but I have avoided other things because I didn't want to get spoiled for anything. Um, I mean, I really was on my edge of my seat if Han was going to die or not in some of those scenes. <laughs> uh, but so I think I agree with like, it seems like the overall consensus is just like, it's okay. That's pretty much what everyone who's seen it has been like, you know, some who didn't like it as much, some who liked it a lot more than that. I had someone I talked to who'd like absolutely love this movie and I was just like, okay. So it's been a bit all the board, but the average seems to be, yeah, it's, it's serviceable. And I might be overall, I'd say might be like a smidge above that. I'm not going to say this is like a great movie. I'm not going to say it's a terrible movie. I think it's better than an average movie. But in like in general, is it better than an average Star Wars movie? I don't even know an average Star Wars movie sits nowadays. Um, uh, there's some things that it... Return of the Jedi. Okay. I mean, it's not better than Return of the Jedi, but I also have a higher opinion of Return of the Jedi than a lot of people. So Empire Strikes Back only became my favorite Star Wars movie like in the past year or two. So uh, if that says anything. But so, yeah, uh, I I liked it, I think. I think, okay, so I'll just break something. Some things I liked and didn't like, I'll just go because I didn't really get time to like make a structured analysis. Um, so I literally got back from it two hours ago. So he did an all right job. I, it's always going to be awkward to have such an iconic role played by somebody else. So he's never going to be able to be as awesome as Harrison Ford was. And in some ways is, it's just such a, you're just never going to get that exact tone. Right. So it's always going to be a little bit of an uncanny value where you're like, well, you're kind of doing the thing, but now you're just making me realize you're not doing it perfectly. So that's maybe always a little bit of an awkward thing, especially if they're going to spin this off into like more movies. I don't know. I mean, he signed on for free movies, which was just like, oh, when I heard that, I was not thrilled because I don't think these should turn into other sprawling trilogies or series of their own. Just like give us a Han Solo movie. Fine. Maybe he shows up in a Lando movie down the road. OK, but like I don't want to see like Solo 2 and Solo 3 like necessarily. Um, I will say there was a lot of like deep Star Wars shit in this movie. Yeah that I really enjoyed. This had some of the better, well, some of the worst and some of the best like world building and connection building um, from star recent Star Wars movies, I think. Because, you know, they really took a lot from the old expanded universe when it came to like Kessel and 
not exactly the same, but just like some of the general ideas that like you mine spice there and you, you know, just like things that they didn't have to do that they still stuck with. And like that it's surrounded by something in the comics. It's by a collection of black hole. I guess this is that was kind of supposed to be a black hole. They didn't call it that because it didn't look like a black hole. But um, there were some things that felt like cool to Star Wars. Like I kind of actually really like the giant tentacle monster, uh, which I didn't think I was going to from the trailer. I was like, oh, that seems a little bit not very Star Warsy. But I'm like, I guess giant monsters are kind of a Star Wars thing when you think about it. And I thought the characters were overall pretty interesting. Like, I think there was definitely some times where I'm like, I feel like this scene maybe in an earlier cut movie took place at a different point and would have had more impact. So I'm not really feeling anything. I feel like I should be feeling something. <laughs> Do you ever have any of those? Yeah. 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 Um, I thought Donald Glover did a good job as Lando. I liked that he leaned into the part, uh, but also wasn't just a caricature of, you know, what we think of as like goofy Lando. Yeah. I think it, um, well, that's enough for now. Let's, let's digest a little bit. I can, I have more thoughts, but okay. First, I will say, um, I agree with you on Donald Glover. I've heard mixed things about his performance. Uh, the one that stands out for me, and I kind of agreed with it at first, but I wasn't, but I've come around, was that he doesn't seem like he's playing a character as much as he seems like he's doing an impression of Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian. And I was like, because I kind of felt that way a little bit as I was watching it, but I also felt like I think what he's doing is he's playing a character who, all right, so we're getting deep here, but like, so there's Lando Calrissian, the person, and then there's Lando Calrissian, the brand, right? Yeah. And I think that the Lando character at this point is still developing the Lando brand. And he's so he's kind of forcing a lot of it. And I think that they were that's what they were trying to get to is he was kind of dictating his little Lando chronicles of like, this is a guy who like is still he's faking it till he makes it on being this like dashing space pimp. Like, so I'm I'm good with that. Um well, and they, they both kind of are. I mean, both of those guys, because there's not a not a, not a Han Solo brand in the same way that there's a Lando Calrissian like in universe brand for sure. But like both those characters at this point in their life are both faking it to make it's like, is Han a great pilot? Like, I don't know. He says he is. But yeah. Um. OK, so you mentioned that nobody can really like capture Harrison Ford's magic. Mm hmm. And I agree. And I think that should be obvious to people. So I don't know why they tried that here. Yeah. Um, my one of my big issues with this is this movie is I don't really see a it doesn't feel like a young Han Solo movie. It just feels like a Han Solo movie. Like they're kind of he they're kind of trying to make him the same person he is in the movies we've seen just like a few clicks less cynical and a few clicks more like energetic. Like, it's just like, it's not. Whereas as a counterexample, I will point you to, um, a little movie called Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Have you seen this movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that movie opens with a flashback story to young Indiana Jones played by river Phoenix, which would go on to become a television series, a short television series about young Indiana Jones and his adventures. I had one of those on VHS. Um, yes. It was Good. really boring. Well, it was not a great TV show, but it did feature a cameo by the older, by Harrison Ford as an older version of uh, Indiana Jones, like circa like the 1980s or something. And he had like an eye patch and was all grizzled. It was really cool. Anyway, um, that movie starts with this flashback to young Indiana Jones and his kind of like when he decides he wants to be like an adventurer and he gets the whip and he gets the hat and like it, it, they kind of compress it all into one little thing. But that version of Indiana Jones is 
it feels like an early it feels like a kid who like you know he's he's very daring but he's also very clumsy um and he uh but he's really, really like idealistic about like how these artifacts should be treated. Um, so you can see like it's an earlier, like you see his ideas and his personality at, coming into shape in just this little five minute intro sequence. And I don't get that with Solo. It's just because we're not his personality isn't developing his character isn't developing all that's developing is the laundry list of han solo um paraphernalia like we're just checking off boxes like well where does he get the millennium falcon got it where does he get his blaster got it um guess we got to do the kessel run in less than 12 parsecs got it like but he as a character isn't developing like you could have done a couple of things like you could have had because we know who Han Solo is when we meet him in A New Hope. And you could have had a... Um, everything else about Han Solo is pretty much the same in the prequel. But he has a sense of morality. And then we see the events of this movie make him into a cynical person, right? He's cocky. He's all the other things that Han Solo is. But he's not cynical. He's idealistic. And then we beat that out of him in this movie. Or you've got a Han Solo who is really, really talented. Like, he's a great pilot. Um... But he's also kind of timid and shy and he's self-doubting. But then this movie makes him cocky. Um, or, you know, you could have a Han Solo who goes around bragging about being the world's best pilot, but he's actually dog shit. And then we see him become a good pilot. Like, we don't get any of that in this movie. It's just like, we just we just pat out his inventory like he's an RPG character. Um, and so uh, to me, it's just like... That's a big miss for me. I would agree they did not do a good enough job of accomplishing what you said they should have, which I also agree with. I think that I picked up a little bit more of the, you know, like he's got a heart of gold, but this movie really like, uh, you know, beat it out of him a little bit. Like he had to go through these lessons to learn that made him be this kind of thing. I don't think they did a good enough job of that. I think that the betrayals and his realization of the betrayal betrayals, like, didn't didn't stick hard enough right they didn't they didn't we didn't see them have any impact on him yeah and that's just gonna be like weird acting or bad like i just think like he didn't really seem upset when uh kira that's her name right yeah left yeah. so he just kind of seemed like yeah well that sucks and just like walked away like and i don't want to like have some big dr- melodramatic scene for it either because that's not han solo either but like it just it felt, I don't know if it rushed or just like, I don't know. It just wasn't, it didn't quite land for sure for me. So, and it does seem like, it does seem like we're like a little too close to who we see in A New Hope. A New Hope for the timeline. And right, I just looked it up and it says that, uh, that this takes, we're not sure exact timing, but maybe somewhere between the 10 to 13 years before the Battle of Yob and BBY. Um, so like, it's about 10 years until we see him in, you know, I'm also looking for like the age thing. Like how old is he supposed to be in this? How old is supposed to be supposed to be in? Like, <laughs> once again, I don't want to get caught up in that detail, but like it does seem like. Yeah, he got he got whatever disease you and McGregor got when he did turn into uh, Alec Guinness in those right. 10 years. So um, I don't know. But yeah, I would agree that overall on that level, it didn't deliver what it should have, which is probably the most important thing for it to have delivered on. So in that way, it failed. I think that there are. I think in, you know, mechanical ways, like there's a lot of really cool things in the movie that work well. I had there's a lot of really good like lines and even like throwbacks that I think were handled better than like what we saw in A Force Awakens, which felt very sh- like 
very shoehorned and unnecessary and just gratuitous. Like, oh, here, remember the little ball thing they use in the uh, A New Hope that Luke trains with? Oh, here, remember the chess table? Yeah, like it felt like all they were were like we talked about prior in our nostalgia episodes. Just like, remember this? Where in this, like, it's the same thing, I guess. But it just felt a little bit more like fluid, like he just tosses him a gun. There's no like the camera doesn't linger on it super long and like have swelling music or whatever. Or, like, yeah, you know, there's I think they do a little drop of like even some of the comments where it's just like like when Lando says, man, mining colonies are the worst. Like that was funny for me because what he when he introduces himself to what they're doing on Bespin on Cloud City is against like a mining colony. <laughs> so you literally right. run. Yeah. Like, so those kind of jokes, I'm like, all right, like. That's funny to me. Like, that is a good throwback that a person who pays attention will get that's not, like, purely nostalgic-driven or whatever. Um, so there was a checklisty nature to the movie. I'll agree with you on that. But So I will push back on the nostalgia criticism on The Last Jedi because I think that the fact that they highlighted all those nostalgic elements, like, I think that was a part of the story they were trying to tell because so much of the themes of The Last Jedi is about the weight of legacy and the, you know, the power, good and bad of nostalgia. So no, I was talking about Force Awakens. I didn't I didn't really oh, feel that with enough. Last Jedi. You're I right. didn't feel that okay. in Last Jedi. In Force Awakens, I thought it was very bad. And yes, like, I would agree. It was, more just, it, was, it was more fan service than it was Correct. a part of the story. Agreed. Right, right. So um, I there's definitely some seams here, kind of Rogue, Rogue One or I, I'm not going to compare it to Suicide Squad, but like that sort of like. This movie had problems in production, and you can tell because yep. there's just like things from just like when I, I, maybe and maybe we're getting to the point now where there's just things I'm not getting. But like when the girl reveals herself, who's like the marauder. Yeah, it, I was just like it, the movie is cueing me that I'm supposed to recognize this person or care. And yep. I'm like, yeah, who is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. The, the, that shot lingers on her face way too long and the music cues are very much like oh, it's her and i was like and my first thought was oh this is um beckett and val uh tandy newton's character that is exactly what i thought this so is I'm their glad, daughter yeah, yeah because it was like okay so she's clearly um you know multiracial the age is about right and they're lingering on her in such a way that like i'm supposed to be knowing who this is but really the bigger he was like oh she's a teenage girl I was like, that's all you were trying to tell me with that? Also, why do I care about that? Also, that makes no sense because this character was like a giant in the first scene we saw them in. And there's no way a teenage girl is going to be able to fight like that. So, yeah, that was a whole weird. Agree, I agree. I, there were clearly scenes missing there um, that they tried to cover for. Like we were supposed to know who that was from scenes that were clearly deleted. Yeah. And or, or I know that I mean, they said that this probably is a movie that has the most references to other things i think there's a lot that's referenced in rebels i'm not sure if that character is from rebels maybe i'm gonna have to look it up i should have done it beforehand but i didn't um what i what i will say that i liked about this and I'll, i'm gonna just um and like i said maybe these are just the same things but for new new canon people these youngsters but every place in this movie is a place from old canon and pretty much accurate like hmm. the i didn't i even realize this i was reading it right now but so they mention so they start off on Corellia, which has always been a planet and, you know, in the old EU. And like, that's where Han was from. And like the, the capital was always Coronet. Like they just really decided not to reinvent the wheel as opposed to something like in Rogue One, where like all the planets were new, you know, new and like never heard of before. But like Mimbum was from the first 
which is the planet they were on. They don't reference all of them. I actually wish they did the thing they do in Rogue One where they put the name of the planet they're on. Yeah, yeah. That's just a nice feature. Uh, I wish they would just, I wish they would maybe have some just like consistent things like that across the brand uh, just to keep people grounded. But minor complaint, I guess. But like the battle he's on when he's an inf- infantryman, the, the planet he's on is called Mimbum. And that's like the planet that uh, Splinter the Mind's Eye, which was the first Star Wars novel, took place on. It was like a swampy, muddy planet um, and really gross. And then like, Kessel, obviously, and they mentioned Krita, which is where the Imperial Flight Academy has always been. And even Darth Maul mentions Dathomir, which is like a really important planet, which I know his storyline goes to eventually. So, like, it really does seem like they are pulling stuff. I don't know what the ice planet was, but um, most of these planets like are and like characters and some things are like things from previous things. I, I really enjoyed as an old old fan. Uh, I will also say that um, this movie opens the that door you they probably shouldn't have opened about droids and yeah freedom and yeah. what the hell a droid is <laughs> yeah yeah number one i definitely like the concept of woke droid but there is timeline considerations that are kind of weird here because there were droid separatists in episode two right um, wasn't general grievous leading the droid rebellion or something no no he wasn't a droid he was actually just a cyborg he wasn't but wasn't that whole separatist business about like droids trying to be their own thing no nothing to do with that no all right well obviously you go watch and watch the prequels again man come on duh uh death first <laughs> um but anyway like but even that aside like that makes this even worse because so this takes place 10 years before a new hope and we're getting the idea that like ah, oh, droids are people too and you know shouldn't be slaves cool fine but then to just be like by the time we get to the all the other episodes to be like yeah no we we've we're not doing that like that's a little weird yeah and it would have been one thing to even just have like that particular droid just be like that you know woke for lack of a better term and just like you know has kind of like the are our, our, you know the droids we've seen in the past and just like these are anomalies like r2d2 and c3po are anomalies they are not the average droid because they've had these long lifespans and haven't had their memories wiped and all these different things that like could contribute to having you know an personality personalities where when she freed all the other droids and then they had instantly had personalized it was like all right well that just changes everything then Right. It's just this restraining bolt that gets put on them, which is also kind of a weird little bit of fiction, because does that mean that droids roll off the assembly line like with free will and consciousness and a desire to be free? Because that seems like bad quality control. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I don't think it would be smart to have like to design your things to want to be free. (laughs) Um, And then you have to buy a new accessory so that they follow orders. It sounds like like something Apple would do. Um, <laughs> fair, but, uh, I, this is really weird because like, this is one of those areas that like for better or worse, the older you just like, didn't really bring it up. It was just like droids are, they never treated them as fully, you cared about them as characters, like the ones that we're, we're familiar with. But then a lot of the other droids that you see in the series are just like, yeah, they're just robots. Like those killer ones yeah. are there. They don't have brains. They just fight things. And that thing just fixes things and whatever. So it's a little bit strange that. Yeah, like you said, that like, and the fact there's like, it always seemed to imply there was like levels of droid consciousness. Like, well, maybe C-3PO can have a personality because he's like a human-esque droid and supposed to be like around humans and do that kind of thing. Where like little mouse droids, they're just, they probably just like do their mundane tasks like a Roomba and go about their business. But maybe not. I mean, I guess you see like the droid gets scared, the mouse droid in 
a new hope when Chewbacca roars at it. So I don't know, man. I just wouldn't have pulled this curtain back because just now I think about it. I didn't like, I mean, I, I was, <laughs> it's always a question before, like, what the fuck's up with droids? Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't know. But now it's like, well, really, what the fuck's up with droids? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think it is a, it is a question worth asking and it is something that I think is a, is worth exploring within the S- Star Wars universe. I just think it's kind of fucked up that maybe we'll have another like, droids or people to storyline in episode nine and maybe we'll continue that forward but it kind of seems fucked up that like there was a droid rebellion and then there was this idea of droids are people and then everybody forgot about it for 60 years <laughs> like right just as a little bit weird and um and also something i don't like about um woke droid is that i feel like the movie was asking us to laugh at woke droid like it almost felt like the movie was like it wanted us to be like yeah sjw's am i right like it felt like we were supposed to laugh at her not with her and i was like eh, that's a little gross yeah i was right on the edge there because i had the exact same kind of thought you did like i'm not sure if this is like like a stereotype or just like, oh, look how eccentric they are. Let's laugh with them. Or man, they have some dumb thoughts, don't they? Like, yeah, it was right on the edge. And once again, I'm not sure if there was like two different tones here that we missed. And maybe sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. And we had two different versions. I'm not really sure, but I definitely am, made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I think uh, L3, I'll stop calling her woke droid because I do feel that's a bit demeaning. Um, I think L3, I'm pretty sure she was re- entirely done in reshoots. Because clue number one is the scene where she tries to disrupt the like droid pit fight. The leader of the droid uh, pit fight is Clint Howard, who's in all of Ron Howard's movies. Mm. So that scene is clearly from the Ron Howard Mm. uh, shoots. And then if you really think about her and her role in the plot, you can take her out of the movie and it's pretty much the same movie. Yeah. And she's only in it for this weird little section in the middle, which leads me to believe this was added after the fact. Um, So, well, maybe, but then they have all the stuff with like her brain and getting them out of the thing. But once again, yeah, but I also feel like you could have you, you, you could have inserted all of that. Yeah. And then but then also like they put it in there. But the only interaction that you get from that character and they're supposed to they're trying to give us this big emotional payoff of her kind of resurrection as the Millennium Falcon. Like, but all she does is plot a course. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't come on the loudspeaker. Like there's no point where like like the ship takes over control and saves them or anything like that. It's just kind of like oh yeah she solved the puzzle. Cool. Never talk about this again. Bye. Yeah. And then also like also again a clue that that was added on after the fact was that the way Lando treats the Falcon after that happens. Like he's still like oh I want my ship back. Like it's a piece of property. Not like I want. I want this robot who was a very dear friend and possible lover to me back whose brain is now in this thing, you know? Yeah. He was just like, you, you banged my ship up. I want out of here. It just, so it felt very tacked on. And the fact that it was tacked on and also had this weird connotation, like, ah, just strange. Yeah. It was a weird, a weird choice. Um, I don't know. But so what did you think of like, I don't know, some of the other parts of the movie, what'd you think of the action? What'd you think of, uh, some of the characters, some of the other characters like, you know, Beckett and Kira. And I actually thought that um, I really like Paul Bettany's villain character. Yeah, I wish we could have more of him. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but it is weird and I like it. Yeah, I was like, this is great. I love that. I was like, I want to see three more movies with this guy. But no, we didn't get that because now the big bad's got to be Darth Maul. Fuck. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, no, I thought all the action was was great for the most part. Um, 
Uh, I would have liked to have seen the Millennium Falcon escape scene actually involve more of Han being a great pilot. Yeah. And also a little bit more of me seeing that this is the fastest ship in the galaxy. Like, I just never really got that sense. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, he got out. He They did the... They did the MacGuffin and dropped the fuel in the tank and they got the power boost, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of like Han in there and like making good on those ideas. Kind of like how in Rogue One, we got a sense of the, you know, destructive power of Darth Vader. Yeah. Like, so that like when we find, you know, like I want, I want to see the the legend of Han Solo legendary pilot. I want to see why, but instead it's like, oh, he, he tilted the ship and got through that like closing rocks just like he did, just like he didn't do earlier in the movie. Yay. He got slightly better as a pilot. <laughs> like, I just, I, it didn't really land for me, but I think that like from a technical side of like, are the action moments exciting? And can I get a very clear sense of what is going on and what the stakes are? Good. Yeah. They were, I think they were all very competently executed. Um, I mean, that's not saying much, but no, no, there's a couple parts. There's like in the beginning, I thought the movie was way too dark. I was just like, I can't tell what's going on, man. Okay. Yeah. Can we talk about that forever? Cause I have a lot there. I read somewhere online that there was something that but many theaters like made a mistake with some sort of lighting sense, like setting on that part of the film or I don't know something. I read some things about it, but I didn't really find anything definitive, but I, it was a major complaint for some people. And other people said, Oh, it was fine for me. And then like, it, it seemed like there was maybe some different version out there. I don't know, but it was really dark on Corellia and I really couldn't tell what was going on most of the time. Yeah, no, throughout the movie, it's all like the lighting is really, really bad. Like, um, and you can go back and you can see it in the trailers. It has nothing. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the projection at the theater, but you can go back and you watch the trailers and in many, many, many scenes, the background is much, much brighter than the characters. And I can barely like all where, you know, so every, everything is heavily backlit. So all the characters look like silhouettes mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like it's an intentional choice. It just looks sloppy, which is weird um, for Ron Howard. Yes. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on there, but I was, I, I, I mean, I don't, I try not to, to get at a movie too much on the technical sides, but this was distracting for me in a lot of scenes where I felt like, um, yeah, like, you know, sometimes you get somebody's house and you're watching on their TV screen and they got their settings all fucked up and they had the fast motion on and you hate it and it's awful and you just want to be like, fix your contrast. That's how I <laughs> felt watching this movie. Like it was taking me out of the movie. And that's that's when I have to get out, get on you about the technical side is like when it's distracting. Yeah, I didn't notice it past the first third. Maybe I just got used to it and didn't realize it anymore. It's very possible. Um uh, maybe some of the, just some of the setting changes help too. That like just maybe bet made it better. But yeah, I I only noticed it really in the beginning. But I'm not on the, I don't have as a keen eye for that kind of thing. So um, do you think it's weird that like Chewbacca definitely ate people? <laughs> no, I like it. Okay, I was just um, like, oh, I, I feel this. I really like Chewie um, in this movie. I would have liked to have seen more Han and Chewie. Like yeah. again, like a Han and Chewie buddy movie would have been better yeah um and also like maybe see their relationship develop a little bit more because it almost seemed like they were like oh they're instantly friends okay oh oh and han speaks wookie from the beginning like i just kind of feel like it would be better if like we got to see them like they're kind of like they're in this together and then they like gradually become friends and han like learns to speak wookie a little bit just from being around chewy like that seems like it would be more fun and more interesting um 
And as much as, you know, I feel like the Lando character could use some more exploration, like the movie felt most at home when it was Han and Chewie scenes. Agreed. And I don't think we got enough of them. Yeah, this movie did a pretty bad job at, um, like we talked about it earlier, but like, show me, don't tell me. Like, yeah. And it's hard. I'm always going to fucking compare stuff to like the uh, the old story in my head of like how Han came to be and, you know, not all the details of how he got each individual item in his quit in his inventory, but of just like how he sort of came about where he was by the time he's in a new hope and how him and Chewbacca came to hang out together. And like some of the adventures they went on together and stuff, which, um, I was reading, I wanted to do one reference that a really good little, like deep old EU callback was when Lando was doing his little like chronicles of Calrissian, like yeah. record. And he says, and we were on Sharu and, you know, that is from a book called, um, I actually never read it because it's like really old and just kind of dull, but it's called the, it, like, there was like three Lando careers in like little mini adventure books in like the seventies or I guess in the eighties since he's in Empire Strikes Back first and the like early eighties. And there was like one of them was called the mine harp of Sheru and like there's these big temples they went into and like found these kind of like, they were kind of trippy books and he had a droid sidekick. It wasn't L3, but you know, so just a little bit of callback, but I was like, thanks guys. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, that was for me, <laughs> but I, I really just wish that they like said, show me, don't tell me these things. Like show me exactly. why Chewbacca thinks, and they did a little bit. There was points I was starting to pick it up that like whenever Han did something good, they would like go to Chewie's face and make him like, you could tell he was thinking. And I think that they were trying to get across that like Chewie knows, like Chewie sees Han's good side and knows deep down he's a hero. But in the old EU, like what happened, not to compare, but <laughs> when Han was a kid, like he was like an orphan and was on, you know, the streets or whatever, or maybe I think he was on a ship actually. And the cook on the ship was like a female Wookiee who was like a surrogate mother to him. And that's how he learned Shiri Wook. And when he was in the Imperial Navy, he was like found out he was like hauling a cargo of slaves that were Wookiees mm -hmm. and he freed them. And that's how he got kicked out of the Navy and you know, whatever. So, um, I don't know, but so I wish I would have seen you yeah, like, why is Chewbacca staying with him? Like, yeah. Why isn't he going and helping out his planet or whatever? You know, like all these things like they kind of talk about in the movie and they kind of just like, ah, eh, now let's just go be smugglers. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, cool, I guess. But I mean, that's what I want you to do, but I don't, I don't see, I don't see why right. you're and doing isn't there it. They're like, don't we, don't we know from the other movies that Chewie owes Han a life debt? And couldn't we have just established that in this movie? Just seems, but uh, and well, I don't think they I don't think that was ever explicitly stated in the movies. That was just one of those like one of those EU things that just like has filtered into common knowledge. Like, I don't know what you call it, but like like mo a lot of people like, probably a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, Han's Karelian smuggler smuggler, even though they never say that in a movie or like they're called Ewoks. They never say that in a movie. It's just like things that got tagged on the back of action figure boxes and things that like people read and then became part of the canon that he has a life debt to him. But the life debt could have explained all of it very quickly. You know, that, you know, you know, that, um, you know, you could have had a 15 second scene where after Han and Chewie escaped the pit, um, Han's like, OK, I'm leaving now. And Chewie like follows him like a puppy. And he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And like, then we like, oh, you know, like you rescued me. So now I, I have a life debt. And like, oh, I guess we're together forever then. And then done. We did it. We're done. Like, but again, like I, I, I really like your point of show don't tell because this movie fails at that so many ways. Like in the first train robbery scene when Han like takes over the controls from um, Rocket Raccoon. I mean, no, another CG character with a Brooklyn accent. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't put that together. Yeah, man. <laughs> His name's Rio, which 
doesn't help. Yeah. Um, but when he takes over the ship, um, we see him do like some piloting, but like from me sitting in my seat, nothing. It's like, oh, he just he's going straight and like keeping with the train. And then Rocket Raccoon's like, you really are a great pilot, kid. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I kind of feel like all he's doing is like, you know, keeping his foot on the gas and not steering into a cliff. Like it's, but oh, oh I guess he's a great pilot because the movie told me he's a great pilot. Um, it just, uh, yeah, that's, that's everywhere with this show. Don't tell. And all they do is tell me, tell me, tell me. Um, and also show me stuff that I don't need to see. Like, oh, turns out Han's a great, like space poker player for no reason, whatever. Fine. You know, like just oh, throw that in there. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because, like, what's another one of those things? The idea that uh, Han won the Falcon off of Lando in a Sabic match has always been, like, what's been said, once again, not ever said in Empire Strikes Back. We know it was Lando's ship at some point, but we don't know how. But, like, that has always been the story of what happened. But why is he good at Sabic? Like, why? Like, why, do, why is he that way? Like, there's just, I'm not, and like I said, this is, where, this is where it gets confusing. And this is why prequels are so hard because, like, you don't want to have everything over explained. But you also kind of need to have it like make sense. <laughs> so you kind of have this like t- this tightrope to walk that they didn't do a good a good job of, I think. So maybe as I discuss my view of this movie is getting a little more negative with some critical thought. I still think overall it was like like I was having an enjoyable time watching the movie as I watched it. There were definitely points where I would like twitch a little and be like, mm, I didn't like that line or that did not land at all. Or like, what are you doing, guys? I also, you know, with the context of like, like you said, the life dead example, it's like clearly you're OK with taking other ideas that have kind of become part of the thing. Why just ditch something that works for the sake of, you know, ditching it? Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's stuff that like like I this made me maybe made me, made me, made me kind of want to get finally take a jump into the new canon of some of the other stuff and kind of see like, ooh, oh, I was looking around a little bit and that character from the movie, like the, the girl, her name is Emphis Nest, which is a really weird name, but completely original this movie. No connection to anything else. So uh, we really just missed a... Yeah, there's a scene somewhere, there's a deleted scene that makes that makes that reveal of her face a lot right. more meaningful, I'm sure. Um, so let's, let's move on to the elephant in the room that we've already addressed twice. And let's talk about, let's talk uh-huh. about Dark Knight. <sighs> Oh, what did you? God. What was your reaction when that happened? I just, I was like, I remember was like, oh my god, so Greg is shitting all, his I'd, pants right now. <laughs> I had read, I had oh, read a spoiler. Shit. Damn it! So I didn't get it in the movie, but when I saw it, my reaction was like, oh, of course they're doing this nonsense. That was my reaction because it's dumb for so many reasons. I'm not going to get into the fact that it's dumb that we're bringing back this hollow, empty character who has no reason to be alive, like in in fiction, just like, no. Um, but two, there's a much bigger problem here. And one of the things that this movie, I think, did well up until the Darth Maul reveal was setting up a version of the Star Wars universe where the Empire and the Jedi and the Sith and all of that was just in the background, where this is really just a story about criminals and smugglers and double crossing each other and going on adventures. And, you know, there is more to the universe than um, Emperor Palpatine. And then Darth Maul comes on the screen. Yeah. So my reaction outside of the reaction of, oh, my God, Greg must have died, was thinking about because I, I I mean, I knew that that they had brought Darth Maul back in very much a Boba Fett kind of way. They hadn't done it in the old EU up until like the very, very end. And actually, some of his stuff is the only stuff that's like came out so late that they actually kind of wrapped it into the new stuff. And he's also very involved in the 
Clone Wars and Rebels TV shows. Um, so I was doing some looking a little bit because I was curious. And this is a really interesting choice. And I agree with you wholeheartedly about how having a Star Wars movie with no connection to any of the big people was is like good. I enjoyed that. I thought this movie had a good place with just like, there's no Jedi, there's no Sith, you know, there's, it's just like a fun action movie and takes place in the Star Wars universe. Like that's fine. And I like the building up ideas of like different criminal syndicates and stuff and like different politics there, like who are, what the Hutt's doing. I hope they reference Black Sun at some point, like these kind of things. I don't know why they made up a whole new thing called Crimson Dawn. They could just use Black Sun, but whatever. I won't complain too much. It's fine. It's all fine. So, but this is really weird because I was just reading that like Maul has a pretty fleshed out story in this time. I mean, I'm reading this this Wikipedia page and it is long and it is like a lot, including like how he, how his story ends. Like he's already, it's already been shown. So to have him play a role in this, I was very surprised because I mean, I, in some ways I respect not the choice of who they used and it being Darth Maul, more just that they decided to use someone that has is also currently or was used in the cartoons and and like things to like make this universe more fleshed out now i'm sure it's a very awkward situation for them because you've got a chunk of star wars fans who like watch the show and like especially kids and stuff who know like oh yeah darth maul's still around no big deal and you've got the app you know 90 percent of the rest of people who are like holy shit darth maul's back what the fuck that's kind of an awkward thing to have like happen um but yeah that that was weird that is weird um like i don't know as a kid you know liking liking the fan menace a lot as a nine-year-old little boy like darth maul was pretty cool uh but you know as an adult i'm like ah it's kind of lame but i don't know i just don't know why they decided to do that to be honest but so i i think i know why they decided to do it because they're trying to i i don't want this to be true but i worry it is they're trying to marvelify the um Star Wars universe where it's less a sequential story and you know with some side stories but now it's all they're going to try to start to tie it all in and tease the big bads and you know what I worry is that we are going to have um that next we're going to get a Boba Fett movie where he also is going to run afoul of um uh Darth Maul and then we're going to have an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie where they run afoul of Darth Maul and then all three of them are going to have to get together to beat Darth Maul or some nonsense like that well, this, this is why it's interesting um, because so I guess this happened in Rebels. I was just reading that they already show how Darth Maul dies. He goes to ta- like so. This is a spoiler alert for Rebels, yeah. I guess, for people who are just the story. Um, let's get that out there. But so it's actually kind of a kind of a cool idea. He whatever happens in this time of his life, whatever. But he goes to Tatooine to hunt down to like go find Obi Wan, and they have a duel. And like basically, he says like I was used by the Sith to like this big thing and like they kind of like Kenobi kills him but he kind of says like Luke's gonna get you know get vengeance for us all or whatever you know in this big conflict or something which is like kind of a weird plate weird journey like maybe there's an interesting story there to be told there I don't know but like you said though like they aren't setting up to be like are they I don't know it's just like a weird thing to do when they've already kind of told his story elsewhere so I'm just I'm just really confused yeah so I don't want I don't want him to be the big bad of some solo trilogy because the idea that by the time we meet Han Solo in A New Hope, he's already squared off against Darth fucking Maul um, and come out victorious. And then we get into New Hope and he's like, ah, Jedi, whatever, y'all a bunch of old crazy wizards. Like, I don't believe in your magic. I'm like, not if you fucking fought Darth Maul. And then you, you know, and then you go up on the Death Star and there's another dude in black with a red lightsaber and you don't bother to point out, hey, you know, I, um... 
I wonder if he is anything like that other major life event I just got done with. Hmm, maybe I should bring that up. Nah, it's just so I hope that's not what they're doing because it really doesn't connect to the other movies. And also, that's not Han Solo is not supposed to go up against like that level of person until a new hope that's the point is that you know he's just dealing with crime petty crime gangster shit until a new hope when he finds a higher calling also i'm bummed out that already he's kind of bumping up against the rebellion in solo that's dumb um and bumping up against altruism and doing the greater good in solo because he's supposed to be too much of an asshole for that until a new hope but it just seems i don't want that for canon reasons um and it just, it's just, I just, I'm so, it's just so dumb. I watch Dryden Voss, the, the Paul Bettany character. He would be a great big bad for a couple movies. Chasing after him, getting into scrapes with him and his various cool hench people. That's cool. I could get into that. Um, I also don't mind the idea of Kira being the big bad of Solo's kind of arc. So that by the time, you know, that eventually because he has to go up against the love of his life who betrayed him and, you know, they, you know, maybe, you know, so that he really is much more cynical and broken by the time we see him in A New Hope. Like, all right, I can I can get behind that. And then like when he, you know, falls for Leia, like, oh, he learned to love again. Cool. Um, But Darth Maul just I don't need him. I don't need him. Kira should just be the head of Crimson Dawn. That's it. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you on all that. I definitely think that I totally agree with, you know, that he should not be facing down some double lightsaber wielding machine of death like anytime before what we see him get into. You know, it's really hard for me to say because I just have so much shit in my brain. But like the original trilogy that kind of explained a lot of what this movie explains, kind of the same territory was covered. That kind of shows like why Han is the way he is when we meet him in No Hope. And basically what happens is like it's a trilogy. It's actually actually it's some, one of my better one of my favorite, not favorite, but a set of books I like a lot more than other books in the series. And he basically falls in love with a girl who ends up getting involved with the rebellion and he helps a little bit. And then at the end of it, she basically in one of the eight different ways they get the Death Star plans, she sacrifices herself for the rebellion you know, to get the Death Star plans transmitted, almost in a Rogue One kind of situation. Actually, very similar to that, actually. That's weird. Um, and, like, at that point, Han blames, you know, the Rebellion and that whole kind of, like, that believing in a cause or whatever for, like, ruining people's lives. And so I'm like, okay, that makes a little bit of sense. But, yeah, this one, it's like, he doesn't really seem to have a good reason for not being, like, like, come join us. He's like, nah. It's just like, why? <laughs> we, you, this whole movie's been telling you, telling us that you're, like, a good guy. But you're not. I don't know. And then, yeah, why does he decide to to leave the money with the the rebels? Why? Like, um, he he hasn't. He's just kind of neutral throughout the movie. You know, like he doesn't really have any real moral center, and not in an interesting way. Not in an interesting like that was a character choice. Like, you know, he's true neutral on the D and D alignment chart. It's just like I just feel like they didn't bother to give him much motivation other than. I want to do jobs because I'm a crook. Like, what? What is his? What is? What does Han Solo want in these movies? It's very unclear. I would agree with that 100. Uh, and I think that once again, I think that there was probably an answer to that question in some version of the script. But what we ended up with because of all the issues 
very similar to Rogue One is like you get this kind of whiplash of like I don't know what the what the theme is, what the moral is, like because there isn't one anymore because now it's just a collection of scenes that have been strung together to make a story. Yeah, and you could even say like, oh, maybe it's freedom. Maybe what he really wants is freedom because you know he basically lived as a slave for so long, and now all he wants, you know, um, is just you know he wants to live his own life and he wants to be an individual. Like, okay cool like let's go with that and then use that to inform some of his choices but it's just no it's just none of it's there it's just like he wants to get back together with kira so he does and then he like has to get woody harrelson out of a jam for some reason (laughs) yeah um i just want to take a step back here just to comment once more on darth maul that um actually in like after kind of just browsing this wikipedia arc a little more that like it seems like they kind of have set him up to be like a third party like he does not work for the empire or anyone like he seems to be his own force which i'm a little more interested in because he's like it seems like at times like the good guys have had to team up with darth maul and like he's helped in different situations so i'm interested to see like what's his what's his motive and goal but uh still a weird choice but at least he's at least it's not just like i'm working for the emperor kind of thing i mean that could be interesting that could be interesting but the way that this movie set him up with he's still wearing the Sith robes, he's still got the double lightsaber. You know what I mean? It would be different if I mean, you could have you could have made that a much more interesting choice just going with like costuming choices where he's wearing something a little more different and a little bit like, you know, even if he was just wearing like kind of a space tuxedo like Dryden Voss wore. Um, so you got some sense of like, oh, no, he is like whenever he crawled out of that pit on uh naboo like he's like no fuck fuck the sith fuck all of it but the the visually that is not the story they're telling and they could have made choices to tell a different story visually there but they did not true very accurate i was actually like that was a weird uh like moment for me because i mean i didn't get spoiled for it so i was just like when he's when she was talking to a guy in a robe i'm like who the fuck is that? Like, I was just like, the first time I was like, I really don't know who this is going to be. Like, is it going to be, I, you know, the first time he speaks, it's like very short and it's gravelly. So it's like, is it the emperor? Yeah. And it's just kind of a generic villain voice. Yeah. And like, is it the emperor? Is it Plagueis? And it was like, oh, it's fucking Darth Maul. I did not see that coming. <laughs> so that was kind of like in like just a novelty sort of way. Just like that was a, that was a fun surprise. I don't get surprised in movies very often anymore, especially when it comes to this kind of bullshit. Cause I'm too into it. But, um, but yeah, so, but yeah, okay. So overall, what would you, I mean, you, you, you hated this movie. You didn't like it. What do you think? Okay. No, I wouldn't say I hated it. I would, I would give this movie a very narrow recommendation. I would say that if you are a Star Wars completionist, like some people I know, um, <laughs> uh, um, or you are willing to overlook some problems to have just a, a decent popcorn movie, um, then go see this movie. Um, but I think if there's part of your brain that has an understanding of what Han Solo deserves, um, this is not the movie you want to see. This is, um, I feel like it's just this, this movie is a really big missed opportunity in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that you're right. And I mean, I think it's important, especially for longtime listeners to hear that Greg is saying, you know, it seems like you went in with like, even though you were against this movie from the beginning, you sort of seem to have, you're not referencing that, oh, it's a dumb idea and dumb prequel. Like you sort of put that, put that aside and are like, all right, if you're going to do it, do it right. Right. And well, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, I tried to understand what this movie is and what this movie wants to be. And I, 
without putting passing any judgment on whether or not any of those things are necessary or good ideas. But like, if this is a origin story for Han Solo, it doesn't do a very good job. Um, is it the first episode of a new trilogy? Um, you know, even though I don't know that that's a great idea, I don't even think it does a great job of that because um, it doesn't give us a lot more things for Han to do like in sort of like building up the Han Solo legacy, like he kind of does it all. Like you could set it up where like, you know what, in this movie, he doesn't get the Millennium Falcon. We got to see where that happens later on. But no, we set it all up here. So it doesn't really set up a new trilogy either. Um, I mean, you could say it's just a action adventure movie about making more the right decisions in a world, crazy world, but it doesn't even really do that very well because we don't really get that character arc about a guy who learns how to make good decisions. Like it just, any, any version of this movie, like you set up, this is what this movie is trying to be. And then just judge it on those merits. I don't think it does a good job. And I would say most of those movies are bad ideas that we shouldn't have tried, but I was trying to leave that out of my analysis. Just like, what is this movie trying to do? Does it do it right? And I don't think there's a, I don't, I don't think there's any alignment between what this movie wants to be and what it achieves. I think I agree with your assessment overall. Um, I hope that, you know, it's one of those things where with these big universes and stuff, you know, and, and like like we talked about before, like with Star Wars, it's like you've already committed that the prequels are still part of everything now more than ever, especially now. Uh, so you have to work your way back up to kind of make it like I, I'm not going to lie. I would, I'd be interested in a Boba Fett movie. I know why you're not interested in it, but I think that character is two very different characters for the two of us. But um, I'm not interested in a Kenobi movie because it's just he shouldn't have that much to do. And they already have had him show up in all the TV shows and shit anyway. So, like, don't take that space up. And then, I'm, you know, outside of that, like, not any other character really needs a movie. Like, I, w- I would watch a Lando movie if maybe we didn't. Instead of, maybe what they could do instead of doing, like, a Han Solo trilogy, a Solo prequel trilogy or whatever do like a kind of loose trilogy, almost like you take a full circle, like your Abercrombie books, where it's like you do a solo movie, you do a Lando movie, maybe just do two movies. And like, it kind of tells a broader story over the two of them that like, does it, maybe you see both of them in the movie. Like maybe, maybe Han would have the role of like the size of Lando had in his movie. And like that kind of thing, I could maybe get behind that where you're telling a story, a new story. that's not just origin stories, but over a little bit of time, maybe that's throughout the go. I'm not sure if you want to do a trilogy who a third person in that group would be. A Greedo movie. We'll do a Greedo movie. Why not? I'm just kidding. Um, but I don't know. That's that's a. I'm not, I'm not sure. I really just don't know where they're going with Star Wars in general. I'm just confused. Uh, my my worry is that they are trying to marvelify mm-hmm. it. They're trying to have because Star Wars had kind of a different model of the cinematic universe, and I worry that they're trying to replicate the model, the Marvel model in Star Wars. Um, with that level of interconnectivity of like solo movies, solo movies, solo movies team-ups. I worry that that's the direction we're going in and with the Star Wars stories, the the you know the uh, non-numbered episodes. Uh that's my worry. Um I am I guess now more than ever I'm looking forward to um episode 9. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, I need some I need some good old-fashioned, you know, like Star Wars, Star yeah. Wars. Cuz so far I don't we have n- I've not seen evidence that it works any other way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, I have a um and this well, so recommendations. Um if you want to see an alternative universe or about Han Solo's origin story to get yourself really confused. Uh, there's two trilogies written back in the day, one by Brian Daly, which was some of the first 
like licensed Star Wars stuff. They're just short little books. We talked about it previously on the show. You can find them for super cheap around or they have a collected editions. They're not real long. Um, Brian Daly wrote those books. The first one's called Han Solo at Star's End. And then the trilogy I was referencing is just called the Han Solo trilogy. It's by AC Crispin. Um, the first being called Paradise Snare, I believe. And, uh, I actually am a big fan of that trilogy. So, um, yeah, you can uh, check those out if you want to, like I said, confuse yourself a great deal, but also kind of see, you can see shades of what, you know, they took things out of it that was similar and, you know, some of the same things. You kind of see some similar things or like how he wins the Falcon and that kind of stuff. But you also see like his first interactions with Jabba the Hutt, which were, you know, in those books actually interesting because they were like pretty good buddies, um, you know, and, and like actually like in this story, like Jabba the Hutt is like the better of the two kind of like criminal people that is kind of you know doing stuff so it's interesting having that filled in but anyway yeah well i don't have any recommendations as alternatives to um solo other than the first five minutes of uh indiana jones and the last crusade (laughs) how to how to do all of this in five minutes and do it better um uh yeah anyway um so i guess that wraps it up for us on uh on these these two somewhat similar but very very different movies um are there any movies less left this summer that are going to be interesting ant-man and the wasp Uh, yeah i don't know man i don't know if i can go back to the marvel well just yet aquaman (sighs) nope um i might go see i might go see skyscraper just because it looks ridiculous but that's the that's the one where um the rock it's like die hard but with the rock and he's got he's like missing a leg he's got like a prosthetic um and it's about like his family's hijacked in a building and he has to go in hard and rescue pass. kind of thing hard pass <laughs> i mean it looks like garbage but looks like eh, it's it's like diver with the rock all right let's go <laughs> <laughs> all right guy well right. um maybe i'll go watch a trailer for that yeah maybe all right uh i'll see you next week yeah next week later <laughs>